Hey, Tim, how's it going? Hey, it's going super. Thanks for asking. Good to hear. So today we're going to talk about nationalism and globalism um, yeah. and basically how they're the two, two sides of the same coin, I suppose. Yeah, I don't even know if they're two sides of the same coin. They might or be they're the just the same side of the, the same, yeah, maybe different parts know. of the same side of, of a coin. Because yeah. so I don't even I hear about globalism a lot, but I honestly barely even know what it is. I think yeah. I know what nationalism is. You hear and and you hear about it very much like white nationalism and this kind of thing. But nationalism generally is just silly because why is, you know, my country's beef better than another country's beef? Why should I protect my country's stuff, um, you know, for this purpose? So yeah. that's that's the idea I have around nationalism is that, you know, I should care about Canadian things because I'm Canadian. Um, right. But I don't see how that then transposes onto globalism because uh, that definition would just be like, the world is great. I care about the screw Mars stuff. I care about Earth stuff. Oh, so you're a globalist. That yeah. figures because you're you are a Jew, and that's code for Jew usually <laughs> by a lot of these people, right? That makes a lot well, of sense. We are the, the most global people. I see right? where this is going, you damn globalist. You suckered me into doing this podcast, and now you've <laughs> co-opted me into your subterfuge of well, uh, Canadian I do, culture. I do plan to have a media empire and so that's very much along the Jewish uh -huh. stereotype. The evidence mounts. The evidence mounts. Yeah, so I think it's it's uh, important to define what these things mean first of all, right? So I, I make a distinction between globalism and globalization. And yeah. Globalization is essentially the idea that we ought to be able to trade with people around the world that um, that shouldn't be infringed on and that, you know, the, the division of labor has spread around the world. You know, like our iPhones are, are made in China and this is made over here. And, you know, and, and we're all more prosperous because of that. So I've got no beef. With the world is smaller than it's ever been. It's globalized. Right. We're, right. We have the ability to interact all with yeah, one and, another. And I mean, th this has been. Uh, this is, you know, the free market economists since Adam Smith have recognized how uh, this has led to human prosperity and flourishing, right? Mm -hmm. The idea that international division of labor and, and trade, free trade have, have produced all these things. Now, globalism is, um, is about planning inter international affairs jointly, right? So, so it's essentially the idea that uh, national sovereignty ought to be take second place to global sovereignty or something like that. So and, like the and European that, Union, the, the United right. Nations. Yeah. And, and so, or, you know, climate policy or something like that. Right. So, so the way I think about it is that it trends towards kind of the idea of a one world government in a sense. Right. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, there, there are elements of this in the UN for sure. There's elements, you know, I think NATO is kind of a, a globalist organization for sure. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but even things like, remember the Trans-Pacific Partnership that Trump kiboshed? Yeah. I came out against that, um, even though there were some free market things in there. Also smuggled into that were the idea of uh, extra national judicial bodies right and 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 that companies in other countries were required to spy like isps were required to spy and report on 
and infringe privacy of uh, their customers. And that IP uh, was US style IP was uh, extended globally and different things like that, right? So, so it smuggled in statism at a global level um, and, and basically infringed national sovereignty. And mm. so to me, that's what globalism is. It, it's this idea that, um, that, that things ought to be coordinated worldwide by central planners on a massive level. Yeah. And, and so that's the globalism that I criticize. And I think that other people rightly criticize. And I think, like I said, people mean different things when they say globalism has become one of those terms that just means anyone that I don't like. And yeah. to some people, it's an anti-Semitic comment where they're, they're using it as code for uh, the Jews uh, that are taking over the world and doing yeah. all that kind of thing. Right. Um, but, but when I mean what, what I, talk about it and i think what most people are worried about is this idea of a kind of a one world government uh, undermining mm. national sovereignty and that's a legitimate concern and it's a legitimate concern because it, it takes away more local control it, it it's a threat right but it's it's not because it's a threat to your nation it's because it's a threat to you as an individual and so this is why i think nationalism is is simply globalism on a smaller scale Right. It's just saying, OK, well, we don't want statism over this huge landmass, the globe, but it's OK to have it on this other slightly less large landmass called Canada or something like that. And so, so if you're if you're concerned about open borders, for example, how do you justify open borders between provinces or states? Um, if you're concerned about the erosion of sovereignty of your local government, uh, how, how can you um, you know, how can you not be concerned about lack of sovereignty uh, that you have as an individual? Um, so to me, they're both collectivist mindsets and uh, they undermine the sovereignty of the individual. And I think that Western civilization was built on the idea of the sovereignty of the individual, that individual rights ought to be protected, that each individual um, has inalienable rights and um, they should be sacrosanct and that, you know, government needs to be restrained and collectivism, forced collectivism needs to be limited so that this, the, the individual can flourish. And that's what set us apart. And so uh, I, I guess I would contrast, I think the opposite of globalism is not nationalism, it's individualism. I think mm -hmm. nationalism and globalism are on one end of the spectrum. Individualism is on the other end. Yeah. For the most so part. I'm interested, though, like my definition of nationalism that I led with isn't in isn't directly in line with your definition of globalism, because your definition of globalism more so fits just the idea of government generally. Right. I understand how it's nationalism, but that's not how the average person talks about it now. It's kind of protectionist in certain respects, but not in the broad, full context, I suppose. How, how we currently are talking about nationalism, quote unquote. Yeah. So and, and I think, to be fair, there are different types of nationalists, right? There, yeah. there are the kind that just say, look, um, we want to protect our liberties. And so we need to kind of close the borders and look after the interests of people within the like, like we need to preserve liberty within this geographical area and we need to protect from uh, foreign invasion uh, or invasion of ideas that would undermine that that liberty mm. or something like that. And that's fair. 
um, you know, I can, I can get behind that um, because it, its goal is the, ultimately the individual, to protect the individual. Yeah. Um, but, but most nationalists I see online, they want to do things like nationalize energy and nationalize uh, our money supply and nationalize um, you know, like guys like Richard Spencer, for example, want to nationalize healthcare. They, they have no problem with universal healthcare. Um, and, and, and then of course you have your ethno nationalists who want a certain purity of race or something within a geographical boundary. Mm. And these are all troubling. I mean, these undermine the philosophy of liberty. They undermine Western civilization, as far as I'm concerned, uh, almost as much as globalism does. Yeah. And, okay. and, here, and here's the other thing, like, imagine, imagine we lived in a universe where, where um, all the planets are populated, right? All, all the other planets in our solar system are populated, have populations of people. Well, a nationalist would then be someone who favors a, like a one world government because that would be our nation and then it's the other nation. So, yeah. so nationalism is always um, essentially saying we, we want protection from the out group or something like yeah. that. So, when I, so think, it's, I think that makes sense. And, and it's just kind of where the world is already nationalized, basically. Like it's the, the, the world is nation states. And so that's, again, the default. That's, you know, we talked right. in the healthcare episode, people just are bought into what they grow up in. Right. Yes. Um, and so it's like we have multiple, you know, multiple kind of sects of nationalism because it's like the default that we're all starting at and how and people are just choosing, picking their poison. I want this 30 percent. You want that 30 percent. Right. But I think it's interesting to point out how arbitrary it actually is. Right. Yeah. Canada has 10 provinces, some with a population bigger than many countries. But we don't have provincial protectionism. We don't have provincial. I mean, there's some like, oh, Alberta's good on terrible and, and like that kind of stuff. Right. right, right. Um, but we don't actually have in in uh, in most respects, we don't actually have um, provincial protectionism. And the average citizen would view that as silly. Right. Um, oh, yeah. you can't move here from Quebec. But it's, it's completely arbitrary. Right. Like um, it's just the system we have. And it's just. We like how things have grown over time, creating nation states from all of the states before. The one thing that is, um, you know, advocated for as the best thing about globalism, but I actually think it's actually globalization. Um, and again, that's why it's so important to have these terms different is peace. Right. There's this idea that that, um, you know, without the EU, there wouldn't be European peace. And it's like, well, you could have the free market that exists within Europe right. without having the EU. And people think that that's not the case, but I think that's just because they're so used to this idea that the state is what does all of these things. But you're, if the EU was gone, there's still, like as a formal structure, there's still a bunch of companies with a bunch of factories in a bunch of European countries that don't want their yeah. country that they happen to be based in blowing up their other industries, their other plants, right? So yeah. that connection exists, but I think people kind of credit, give credit where credit isn't due. That's right, yeah. So so you're absolutely right, that's globalized. So, you know, the, the thing that nationalists have to answer is how they're okay with uh, a state of anarchy when it comes to 
270 countries, right? Like there's no overarching world government controlling how these countries relate to each other, but mm -hmm. they are okay with, um, with collectivism when it comes to this size government and, and understand that, that their idea of like, they, no one can answer what the proper size of a, a nation ought to be. Right. They say, well, mm. Canada is the right size or U.S. Obviously, like it always conforms with whatever the state has deemed it to. So so you, the masters that control you, that tax your, your <laughs> that that milk you for your tax, that treat you as tax cattle um, and milk you for it and control everything you do. Those are the people that have determined what your nation is. And you fall right into that. So, yeah, that's the that's our nation. That's and and. And then you undermine uh, individual liberty. And so if it's permissible to have 270 different countries, what about having 300 countries? What about having 400? What about having 500? What about having 7 billion rather than, you know, so, so to me, nationalism, the, the correct form of nationalism is, is a process that works towards decentralizing uh, sovereignty, right? That, that, in, in the yeah. individual. And uh, I, I yeah, suppose that um, in in the world that currently exists, I would I would say that the right kind of nationalism is right now just protecting, like you said earlier, protecting the individuals within your nation from another nation infringing on their rights. Right. right. And, and that's kind of, I think that at least in the world we exist in right now is is the role that your your government uh, would play. Um, because there, there is a likelihood in many cases that someone, one of the other countries would bring you into their collective. Um, right. Yeah. And, and what I hear all the time from nationalists, nationalists is, well, we don't want these people in our country or that kind of person or this kind of person. And I, I, all I can think of in my head is, well, why would I want to be in a nation with you? Have you ever thought of that? Like, why should I be uh, integrated and connected to you through our state? Like, I, I want to have the right to secede from that and maybe form my own nation, my own voluntary nation of, or collection, collective um, of people that, that will have my back and not uh, constantly demand that the government impose my will or your will on other people, right? And, mm -hmm. and so most people look at nationalism and they, they, what they want is a strong tribal leader like Trump, a daddy who is going to, uh, that lines up with their way of thinking, who's going to impose their opinion and their will on everyone else in that collective. So that because they, they view the nation as theirs somehow, as if they own it or have some, but they were just born there. They, they were, yeah. sub, they, I mean, they're essentially slaves born on a plantation arguing that their plantation is the best. Um, yeah. We want to move past that plantation mentality towards um, a more voluntary form of, of nationalism where people get to choose their nation or their collective um, in an easier way. Yeah. And I think it's interesting you say that like Trump is definitely like a good figurehead for that sort of nationalism. Right. Because that is that is the mindset. And I think, you know, the average person that I interact with, they don't fall into that camp. They fall into the globalist camp, which is right. Trudeau is the perfect mother figurehead for that. Right. Like, um, right. We, we, we need want... to look after everyone. We need to use our state to look after everyone and, and uh, spread this. Yeah. So and, and the other one is like, 
no, we, we, you know, we need the state to uh, impose its will on people within the borders. And, and so they, they have no nationalists have no problem with trade restrictions when daddy's doing it. Right. They, they're, they're all sorts of comfortable. But, you know, I, I find that uh, quite often these are I mean, these people have legitimate grievances that they're hard done by economically or they lost their job or they um, they they see their the value their buying power being eroded and and they see all you know and they see all these issues and they the the state that caused all those issues they have no problem with it's just the figurehead who's leading that state that they have the problem with yeah absolutely but i want to i want to touch on like a lot of young people are are globalists they see why wouldn't we want the eu why sure. wouldn't we want nato why wouldn't we want um like the UN is clearly good, right? And and it's like, I don't know if they're active, actually thinking one world government is good or if they're just kind of ev evading and, and unaware of what they're actually being swept up in. Because um, something that was interesting for me before I became, you know, more liberty focused, I, when the whole Brexit was going on, I just implicitly felt that the EU was bad and I agreed with with Brexit when none of my peers did, and I was still generally left wing. So it was interesting. Right. It was an interesting split in my brain and trying to figure it out. And I just knew that like, well, on that level, more government, like, why would I want an additional layer of government that's just more disconnected from me as a person that can actually override my country? I don't want that European government overriding my country. And I knew that, like, it made sense to me. But I couldn't figure out exactly why or how it was different. Uh, and, and like, less arbitrary than than you know Canada or anything like that but I think so many people just assume well it's actually more centralized if we all have kind of similar values why wouldn't we want one government to tell us all of the, our values if, if it's similar enough but so if you have that formulated a bit better if I'm not kind of rambling yeah well random. again this goes to people's view of the state as um you know, as, as, as a projection of, of their ideal parent. Right. And so mm -hmm. if you have an ideal parent, you want that to go all over the world, or you want it to protect you depending on whether you fear outsiders or you're open to them. Right. And so, but, but they don't consider, um, the true nature of the state, which is it, it's a monopoly on violence. It uses violence to get things done. And so what, what these people who, who, you know, see suffering in other parts of the world and want to solve it. I mean, statists think that government and pointing guns is the way to solve any problem, right? And, and we've talked about this numerous times about uh, compassion and empathy and looking after each other mm. and how the state isn't true compassion and empathy. It's the exact opposite of that. But people view it as empathy and compassion and, and all and cooperation and all these kinds of things. Right. So, so they mm -hmm. see it as a family. They're like, well, why wouldn't we want one big family that all gets along rather than all these warring factions imagining that state is the, the state is the thing that creates that and not individual relationships. Um, you know, if I trade with someone from uh, another part of the world, I have a relationship with that person. And you know, they, they like they say, armies don't follow trade routes. Right. So, uh, trade, international trade is what leads to peace, not having an authoritarian government pointing guns at people and dropping bombs and doing all these kinds of things. Yeah. And I think that's what I alluded to 
with you know globalization is what brought peace to europe not globalism right, right? yeah um, globalism does the exact opposite in fact right and and yeah. so does nationalism to uh, a large extent as well because it all they do is they shrink the the ge geographical area where that state is pointing guns and now so at least you know with nationalism i guess you can escape that nation and go somewhere else if you can get the paperwork done and get all the permissions and you know you have the financial means but yeah you know, it's still not ideal it's just a slightly smaller thing and nationalists can never explain to me why it's got to be this size and not smaller or bigger or you know, why is this the perfect size and, and yeah. again it's like healthcare or anything else they're just born into this paradigm they accept it as gospel truth uh, they didn't come up with the idea that a nation ought to be this big or this size or run by this state um that I, other people made that decision and they just accepted it i think the most important thing to point out is regardless of what system caused it most of the awful deaths in human history most of the world's deaths were created by the state by a state Right. right. Um, you know, even if you think socialism is great, but Stalin was a bad socialist. Well, he right. wouldn't have had that power if he was a company. Right. Like. Right. Companies don't yeah. murder people. States do. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it's interesting that you touched on that. Like, I don't I just don't think that tech uh, that government can keep up with tech. Like that was the mm -hmm. moment I, I shifted my mindset to capitalism. It became clear to me that capitalism was going to win, right? So maybe I switched actually pragmatically at first. If I wanted to make a difference, I should run a company, not be a prime minister. That was my determination because there's no chance, um, like the tech has just far outpaced government. And I think that is the same thing we're seeing with globalization. Globalization has spread and globalism is the state is trying to tag along and follow up. So, you know, I think of the idea that, you know, Apple needs to pay American minimum wage in China, right? Like, and then there's this idea of like, we need to protect those people, right? Um, right. It's actually interesting, it, like, because there's other perspectives you don't hear though, that are actually like the real perspectives. There's actually an episode of House where they're talking about like, someone's 10 year old cousin who's a sweatshop worker and she says well actually this is great because he's making two dollars an hour and otherwise he would just be working on his farm with his parents so this is actually right. huge for them that he can afford to do this but they they project our it's very much the standard like oh well everyone needs to live our life right now type thing right um yes but it's it's the statists trying to keep up with the globalization and trying to catch up. And I, I mean, I just don't think it's possible, but that's the kind of battle you see. Yeah, and that's a good point. Like, you know, globalists usually see that and they're like, okay, well, these people need to have their minimum wage raised to our levels. And meanwhile, over here in, uh, you know, a nationalist might say, well, we ought to prohibit that company from making, uh, making those, phones overseas they ought to be made here because uh, they're taking jobs away from us right and and so both these um both these mindsets belay uh economic ignorance and and disdain for the individual right they they, they have no respect whatsoever for the individual it's all about collectives uh to them and using state power to try to get some benefit that ultimately undermines everyone in the end yeah yeah, definitely. 
Um, so what what led you to want to talk about this specifically? Like, why was it on your mind in particular? Well, I mean, I see everywhere um, nationalists preening about globalism and how terrible it is and, and um, talking about how. <laughs> but, you know, to me, it's it's they're the exact same thing. I, I don't see much of a difference between most nationalists and globalists. Right. And so, um, you know, both mindsets lead to statism and and, uh, you know, we ought to be opposed to statism. We ought to be in favor of individual liberty. And that is that is ultimately what Western civilization was built on. And so I, I see this competition between globalists and nationalists to undermine Western civilization the fastest, who can undermine it the fastest. And it disturbs me and uh, just want to put it on record and in very clear terms that you're both anti-Western civilization and you're both two sides of the same coin. And, uh, you know, you ought to uh, read a book or something. Yeah. And I think the the thing that kind of makes it the most clear to me right now um, is the idea of if UN was actually a world government right now, right? Because people kind of still assume that um, government is good because government has my values and my values are right. So we need government to force my values. But then you look at the UN and you look at the state of so many places in the world and, and what they're doing. And then, I mean, I don't know much but about it in terms of its structure, but if you read about like the, the Human Rights Council and how many human rights abusers are on it, right? And, and it's like, these are the people you wanna give power to theoretically. Like the world isn't going to magically have your views now or forever, but the idea that like, if you gave the world power right now, who would actually be in control, right? It's not us and our values necessarily. Um, and I think that's, it's at least le- easier to view in the UN level because it's so clear that there are people in the world who very strongly disagree with Western values or, or so, like socialist, you know, let's help the world uh, values, let's say. Um, but in, in, in any of our existing systems, we think that's not the case. Oh, the EU is good. NATO is good. Canada's good. Um, and these things, right? So you have to kind of look at the actual extreme example that exists right now. Well, yeah. And, and that, that's the problem with statism is that it puts, um, you know, <laughs> it puts you in a forced relationship with people that want to maximize their own self-interest and they're they're willing to to steamroll you as an individual to do that and um and you know i don't want to be forced into a relationship with these people i want to be protected from them you know if government has a proper role it's to protect us from those people not give them a tool to steamroll us with uh at will and and both nationalism and globalist tendencies uh tend to to uh want to give the state power to steamroll the individual in the name of of uh, some collectivism, whether it's the globe or the nation. And uh, I think that's that's atrocious. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. you just you just have to think about, um, you know, let's take an extreme example like ethno nationalists. Yeah. And and how incoherent this. Will, so so these people are saying they want the state, a government to control demographics. Right. They want to give the state that power and. Who ought to be in charge of that? Like, and even among ethno-nationalists, you'll never get them all to agree on 
how they're going to determine racial purity or something like that. Like, is there going to yeah. be a DNA test? Is are they going to everyone going to have to do a 23andMe and have a yeah. certain percentage of European heritage and why that and which European and countries? Percentage. Yeah, and you know, like it's it's just that this line of thinking to me is is uh, ridiculous. But other nationalists, you know, they, they're like. Uh, you know, they have no problem with minimum wage laws or uh, prohibiting countries from doing business overseas or, or um, you know, everything's got to be in this, the interest of the collective. You got to, you know, undermine individual rights uh, and put power in the hands of, of some authority figure. And uh, yeah, so, so like, I, I it's think, just not a coherent philosophy at all. Yeah. And I think it's important to make sure people understand that ethno-nationalism is just another form of nationalism, right? Like people would right. group it differently because a lot of people who are other nationalists think that, oh, theirs is fine. But like, obviously, uh, you know, having an ethno race, uh, ethno-nationalism is bad, but it's still, you know, thinking that some group can impose some, by force, rules on everyone else, right? And like, that is the, the flawed thing. If you don't think that they can do it for race, why do you think they can do it for anything of the mind, of, of how you can work, how you can live, right? Um, and they see, they see it so clearly for like, let's call it right-wing extremist nationalism, but they don't see how it's the same as left-wing extremist nationalism. Um, and I think that the biggest problem I see right now is trying to get the, the left-leaning people to understand that it's the same problem. Um, but it, it's funny because yeah. even when you think of it in practice, it's with the ethno-nationalism, at least like it's exactly what you said. Like it used to be Jews were awful. I mean, it's still sometimes Jews are awful. And then also Italians and the Irish, like now they're fine because they've been here long enough. But when they were first coming here, oh, they were still awful and they weren't white enough. And, and like these other things, it's, it's just completely right. BS. But I think the the inability to have solid lines in ethno-nationalism is the same inability that exists in other nationalism. What rights can you infringe upon? Who decides? Why? When does it yeah. change? And there's no way to define it. But then the people, the, the you know, the left-leaning nationalists, they don't see that as a problem. No, and that's fair. And, you know, I mean, there, there are all sorts of crossovers between the the left and, you know, the ethno-nationalists here, like the, the, this mm. temptation to to group everyone based on ethnic identity or some some in or, or um, I guess. Yeah, now the far left is going full, like complete full circle and they're just becoming like black nationalism is fine, but white nationalism is bad. Right. Like. Right. Yeah. 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 Or, you know, and, and the general difference between the right and the left when it comes to identity politics is that the right uh, identity politics places everyone into groups and and uh, views outside groups as, you know, as a threat. The the left uh, views outside groups as lesser than in, in need of paternalism. Right. So mm -hmm. so it, it's the same type of. Uh, you know, racism for lack of a better or word better, or bigotry, but yeah. it's just what, yeah. what to do with the people who are worse. Right. And, and, you know, the left thinks, well, we have to look after them. We have, these are children that need to be looked after. Right. And the right sees them as, you know, in, in some ways the right wing, um, racists are, are 
respect other races more than left-wing races, yeah. identitarians, right? Because they, they view them as on some level equal and a threat that need that we need protecting from, whereas the left views them as just little children that are in need of some paternalism and, and empathy and compassion or something, right? And yeah. I mean, I would rather have someone see me as a threat than as a little child or something. I, I just, but. Yeah. One anyway, thing so I want to tangent. One, one thing, another mini tangent, we talked at the start about this idea of the Jewish globalists. And so yeah. I want to touch on it. Because um, you show me your card, right? That your card carrying so, member of that. It is interesting to me that there is this still association of it. And, and, you know, I actually think Jews tend to be, I mean, it's, it's improper to lump any group generally, but the Jewish philosophy, let's say that a lot of people, a lot of them do follow, it's actually more individualist, right? I think they're more in terms of globalization than globalism, right? I don't think right. they necessarily want world governments, but they tend to go to different countries, focus on themselves, prosper, and then it kind of makes sense that if they're in one country doing that, and there are Jews in another country who have that same principle, that they'd start trading with each other. So it's yeah. like, because they have their own values and have spread around the world, they're trying to create this market amongst themselves because a lot of the world doesn't have that. So that, I mean, that this is just off the top of my head, but it's so yeah. interesting to me that this is like such a continually pervasive thing. But well, I think it's it, because it, of their focus on themselves right. and their individuality or their small communities that they build, aside from whatever happens to be going on in the state. And, and there's, you know, there, there's, there's obviously a disproportionate number of Jews in positions of power and success and wealth and, and influence, shall we say, right? Um, and I think that correlates less to some sort of um, DNA trait and more to um, the fact that like higher IQ people tend to gravitate to you know, be more successful in all areas, whether it's political or influence or whatever. Mm. And, and so high IQ people just have a bit more influence. And if you couple that IQ with the ability to be a middleman, right, to negotiate, to, to um, make deals, mm. um, you're going to have even more success. And, and culturally and historically, Jews have been kind of middlemen, right? Thomas Sowell made this point in his book like wherever they go they their their job is to they kind of assimilate into the culture that they're in try to uh, fit in and they become successful middlemen like they they travel around you know and because they they have been without a nation state for much of their um life that i mean they've just had to do that to survive right yeah. and and so you know that there's in their culture i guess is this um diplomacy and you know all, all these things lead to success and so you know the thing that ethno-nationalists ought to take from this is uh, a model for how to be more successful in their own personal life rather than to imagine that there's some uh, illuminati conspiracy or globalist conspiracy of people planning to take over the world right that this yeah. is just you know this is part of of going of being able to provide value and and i think the other thing too is that you know, because you've been kind of a diaspora, like you've, you've been all over the world, um, there's probably less fear or xenophobia, right, in, in Jewish culture than there might be in, in, you know, 
like I lived on a farm my whole life and I've never been off of it and I've yeah. never seen the outside world and them city city slickers I l- view them with uh, kind of skepticism and of course I view people in other countries and I don't understand them and so I don't trust them right but if you've traveled if you if you're well traveled um, all those things tend to break down when you realize okay people are people everywhere in the world there's kindness there's love there's uh, you know there's all the pros and cons of humanity everywhere you go and you can find beauty anywhere you can provide value almost anywhere in the world um where humans exist yeah and i think like also like because they've been spread out they like to prosper they need to just from a self-interest point trade and work with these people like right. you work with people other than yourself because that's how you thrive right but there's also i mean we won't go on about this topic too long but i find it interesting right um there's a book i haven't read yet but it's, it's been recommended it's called world perfect and it talks about how the Jews have had like such a big impact on the world. And it's not through some conspiracy theory. It's through six main principles that are in Jewish philosophy that are in Western philosophy and, and lead to thriving. Right. And, and it's it is about how to take care of yourself and the people you care about. Right. More than anything. Right. Um, and so it's, it's so interesting that like, I mean, to me, it just seems like that they're more practiced at working on those things and so people get frustrated by it or something like that but then it's easier to project it onto some like conspiracy theory because then it it devalue like one it says well that's why they're successful not because they work hard like and so like it's it's some conspiracy theory but then also because globalism well it's a nice fear it's like an easy you said people well, just label it, it, people it's with an e- it, right? It, and it's also an easy fix, right? Like if, if you know that there's a conspiracy theory, that there's a few people, puppet masters pulling the string, well, obviously, if you take out those puppet masters, everything will be better, right? Um, and, and so, you know, uh, I guess if we just kill all the Jews, we'll usher in world peace, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's very sub- silly and simplistic thinking, right? That, 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 that imagines that this world is under control and it's more comforting for people to believe that the world's under some kind of control even if it's by some nefarious puppet masters than it is to imagine that the world is just a self-organizing system like the rest of nature and that things are emerging um at an individual level and and uh based on on the incentives and the culture and the environment that you're placed in rather than some overarching puppet master pulling strings yeah uh, that, but it, that, i mean it, that, that idea doesn't give you any control over any of your surroundings right you you then have to admit that everyone including myself are are operating in uh, an unpredictable and uncontrollable environment and that's very disconcerting for some people but that's you know when i think, think the reality are also raised by puppet masters like the state sure tries to control as much as possible so again that's just the the, the framework of their mindset is that, well, someone's controlling how I can use my healthcare, someone's controlling the all of these things in my life. Right. So now that there's actual globalization, there must be someone controlling it. And it's clearly not any of the global systems that the statists are trying to put in place. So it must be something else, right? right. And, and so it's easy to fix and uh, easy to fix onto that. And I do think that it's again that if because the Jews have seemed to just kind of 
focus on their own thriving within any place. They've established like a sub-globalization community that then like seems flawed. But I mean, I think engineers do it as well. Like yeah. the globalization of engineering is pretty interesting, right? Like there's so many shared practices um, mm. across engineering and it's because all of the engineers in all of the countries want to do the best job they can. So if, if another country does a good thing, then they adopt and, and they have summits right. and, and that kind of thing. But it's not to impose rules on other countries. It's to share best practices. There's no desire yes. to have a, a global engineering enforcement um, that I know of. I, uh, um, but it's how do we share best practices so the companies in each country can thrive, right? Yeah, and and you know it's and that's just it right like a lot of these things can be explained much easier through you know uh self-organization theory than they can be through some puppet master i mean you have to but this is kind of the mindset right so people look at trudeau and say okay he he wants to impose sharia law on canada or something like that well that may be the end result of his policies but that's I doubt that is his intention, right? I mean, he doesn't yeah. want to live under Sharia law no more than anyone else. But if you, if, if you just imagine, just take it at face value, that what he's doing is he, he has this bleeding heart for the rest of the world and he sees people suffering and some of them are Muslims and, and his idea is to put them on a plane and ship them here and then give them all sorts of state benefits uh, to support them. Um, and, you know, the, the end result is they form a ghettoized enclave where they have no incentive to assimilate into Western culture. And, the, you know, and, and so they, but, but you don't have, it doesn't require some sort of conspiracy to see how that happens. All it requires mm -hmm. is someone to believe that the state is, is wonderful and can solve all sorts of problems and to be compassionate about the suffering of people elsewhere. And you end up with the same result. Right. And so to me, What's what what we need to focus on, and and again, this this comes back to I guess we could talk about conspiracy theories on another podcast and some, some of the, yeah. the issues I have with them. That's not to say that there aren't conspiracies or people working together to do nefarious things and all, all that sort of thing, um, but it misses the point, right? Like if nine whether nine eleven was a conspiracy or not, like government is evil, you know, um, and, and if if we somehow like these people, I think they figure out that if we somehow un uncover the the golden bullet that with the clear evidence that it was an inside job um then people will will see the truth about government well no they won't they'll be beg for more government and they'll they'll beg for a different leader that's all we need it, someone it, it to protect us from the kind of government that would do this yeah. so all these things can be explained simply by well-meaning pe people having terrible ideas and philosophy right yeah. Um, and I think that's, like, yeah, sorry. well, and that, that's it. All the worst evil in this world have been done by people who have good intentions, um, who just have bad ideas about how to get those good intentions. Right. And, you know, so like, if you go back to Nazi Germany, Germany, Hitler was faced with a country and economic disaster and turmoil. And his ideas were to, to, to point fingers at the Jews because they were in positions of, uh, of influence and banking and different things like that. Say so it was there. We just got to kill all these Jews and then everything will be good. Right. Well, uh, 
no. I mean, your, your intention, I guess, was good in that you wanted your nation and the people in it to return to flourishing, but your ideas were, were terrible. Right. And so, um, so, so evil is, is, is bad, not from, not from bad intentions so much as it is from bad ideas. Yeah, I don't know if I particularly agree on the Hitler example, but I think generally, <laughs> well, I think generally, yes, like, I don't know if he had particular, like, additional malice, rather than just this is the answer to solving the, the problem, right? But um, I think well, no, generally, he, he, he certainly the, had malice towards Jews, right? I don't want to be misunderstood. But yeah. Those that that malice was generated by bad ideas, right? By misidentifying um, the problem, for example, not but thinking so, clearly. Yeah. Right. And it's and just so, whether or not and, he and genuinely he thought they were actually the cause or he knew he was scapegoating them. Right. Like that is the ah, where, I see. Right, whether right. or not it's actually. So you, think he, so you think he was scapegoating them rather than genuinely believing that. they? Oh, were I, the I have no idea, but I right. just want to highlight that that's an important difference. But I do. And in, in this specific example and in some, but I want to I want to fully agree with you on the broader principle that too much now as well people are assuming malice first and foremost everyone i disagree right. with is malicious right uh, right like and and that is a huge problem that that is happening yes. um right now um whereas most people do have good intentions um yeah, yeah and i want to make it clear that i think globalists and nationalists uh i don't think either of those groups are terrible people they're not evil people you know they, they have this mind virus called statism that Mm -hmm. that uh, needs to be cured and, and but but that doesn't make them bad people they're redeemable yeah. they, they they have good intentions they want to do good in the world they they see suffering around them and they have different prescriptions based on poor philosophy or bad ideas that are ultimately going to have very bad consequences and lead to evil in this world but i don't think any of them are particularly malicious or hateful or anything like that well and and i think the most important thing for me is to highlight that when there is something as powerful as and entrenched as the state, it only takes one person who's actually malicious to take control of that and really cause damage, right? Like I think that there are some people who are malicious, who That's have true, yeah. bad ends. And when you create this enormous machine called the state, it doesn't take very many of those people to do a right. lot of damage. <clears throat> and right? That's so a good why point. would and, you and want to to consolidate power um, in the hopes that a good guy gets it and solves all the world problem, all the yeah. world's problems. No, and, that, and that's a fair point. And, you know, like Hitler, pro you know, Hitler probably was malicious. You know, he had a terrible upbringing. He was beaten um, and he probably wanted to inflict pain. That was probably an underlying psychological motive. So you could probably look at that guy and say, OK, on the face of it, evil, maybe same with Stalin and some of these other dictators. But the point, the over, overarching point is that their society, their, their culture, like they wouldn't have risen to power if they didn't have all this support, if they didn't, uh, if they, if they didn't prey off people's fears and, and more importantly, if people didn't, um, grant didn't them their power, grant them, grant them that power. Right. So people, rather than addressing their own fears and trying to get more personal responsibility and individual liberty, they demand the state uh, take care of it. And they, and if you're in a lot of fear and if you're in a lot of panic and if you're in a lot of suffering, by God, the more authoritarian the person, the more you're likely to support them. And, and so, yeah, of course, in those environments, the most malicious 
people are going to rise to the top because yeah. um, the, the people just demand it. Well, and, and you have to also think about like if there wasn't, you know, this statist ideal, this statist idea, you know, Hitler hates Jews. What does he do? He goes and shoots 10 people at a synagogue. Okay, that's still awful, but that's not the same as having a country do stuff, right? Like, yep. so the like people, you know, it's actually an interesting uh, analogy with like the gun debate in the US, right? If someone's really awful, they shouldn't have access to a machine gun because then they can kill a bunch of people, right? And it's like, well, if someone's really awful, they shouldn't have access to the state and an army, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but people don't make that connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Well, yeah, we, we, we did a couple of tangents there, but it was an enjoyable conversation. <laughs> it was, yeah. I think we solved the Jewish question. I uh, think you we know, solved the we, Jewish question. And we talked about how... <laughs> uh, terrible. Uh, and we and we we talked about how Hitler wasn't all that malicious. He just <laughs> yeah, good intentions. Yeah, I think we really. We... <laughs> oh man, uh, I'm sorry if this went sideways on you, David. No, no, <laughs> I think I'm just debating if I'll cut it into two episodes or right. one, and maybe it'll just be called nationalism versus globalism bracket and the Jews. <laughs> But uh, yeah, maybe maybe we we'll want to stay away from that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> libertarianism has has enough of a, a PR problem without uh, having people misinterpret what we're saying. Here. Yeah. All right. Well, this is uh, a good conversation. I appreciate it. Awesome. Good luck on your empire building, David. <laughs> I fully support it. <laughs>